Thank you for joining us on the Waymaker Church podcast today. We hope this inspires you, builds your faith, and makes a way for the new and deeper with Jesus Christ in your life. Enjoy. Uh, So my name is Tanner Petty. Uh, I have the honor and privilege of being the programs director here at Waymaker Institute. Um, There's like 80% of our past graduation body, like right in this section. So uh, Waymaker Institute, uh, I get to work alongside that and kind of help build and some things that, exciting things that we're doing there. But uh, Pastor John gave me the honor and privilege of finishing out our mountaintop series. And we'll be focusing on Mount Zion. So no longer will we get to see, if you come here early, that little man struggling up the hill, uh, continuing up a hill that will never end. And there is no ending. So we end the service, as we end the series, that little man, if you've seen that graphic, if you don't know what I'm talking about, just let it go on by. But he never reaches the top. He just keeps climbing and he'll keep climbing as we move on to other series. And so we focus on Mount Zion today, which is, uh, it's good and bad. One of the more unique uh, mountains that we experience in scripture. So unlike most of the mountains that we've covered throughout this series, uh, where there is a specific story or moment that's like, oh, this is when this happened on this mountain. Uh, on this mountain that doesn't really occur with Mount Zion. Now, there are significant moments, but it is more of a, a representation of themes about God and what he's doing in this world than there is a specific moment to hone in on. And so we're going to talk about those this morning. But first, uh, we, we first experienced Mount Zion in 2 Samuel, uh, 2 Samuel, I just forgot for a second, uh, 5, 6 through 10. Sorry, I totally drew a blank. Uh, and what we see in that moment is King David. He actually overthrows the Jebusites who are inhabiting Jerusalem and he overthrows them and he reestablishes Jerusalem and he uh, conquers uh, what is then called the stronghold of Zion, but basically conquers Jerusalem uh, again and reestablishes the Israelites' presence there. And that's kind of the first time we see Mount Zion come on the picture. The second uh, is not soon, it's not long after that, uh, but in Second Samuel 24, we see Solomon and he Uh, takes the Ark of the Covenant and he establishes it on Mount Zion. And in that moment, kind of uh, signifying that God's presence is now amongst the Israelites via Mount Zion. And so it becomes, Mount Zion becomes this important place where God's presence dwells amongst the Israelites. And uh, Solomon reinstates the temple, uh, the Ark of the Covenant on Mount Zion. Now, as you continue throughout the scriptures, uh, Mount Zion or the word Zion itself is used uh, over 150 times, mostly in the Psalms and prophets. And it's usually within like poetic or prophetic language. Uh, and there's a bunch of different directions that you can take and t- discuss and, and kind of parse regarding Mount Zion. Uh, it even has future implications. Uh, Mount Zion is, it says, it says in Revelation, is where God's presence will dwell amongst its people for eternity. So when God restores this earth, the new Jerusalem, the new heaven, the new earth, he will dwell on Mount Zion with his people forever. And so there's a lot of directions I could have taken this. Um, But I've decided to hone in on, I think, one theme that we see throughout Scripture regarding the idea of Mount Zion or Zion itself. And that theme, uh, that theme we see about God and his character is this. God's desire is to dwell among his people. God's desire is to dwell among his people. So like I said, Mount Zion is mostly representative of God's presence amongst the Israelites. And so for a time being, or, uh, that's where God's presence dwelt was in an actual building amongst 
Israelites. And I would argue God's heart for his people is to continue to move nearer and closer and actually be with them. The story of scripture is a story of God pursuing his people and establishing his presence among them and continuing to grow his presence amongst his people. We see in Genesis, very beginning, before everything goes bad, God is walking amongst Adam and Eve uninhibited as if there is no dif- you know, distance between he and his creation. Well, it doesn't, doesn't last very long. And we see sin into the world. We see that they're cast out from the Garden of Eden. And there's actually a chasm between man and God's presence because of our sin, because of the sin that we invite into this world. And the rest of the story of scripture is God Working his, way, working his way back, winning over his people again and establishing his presence amongst them. So we see uh, on Mount Sinai, God visits uh, Moses. And from there, they begin to establish the tabernacle after the Exodus. And we'll skip a bunch of Israelite history and we'll move all the way to, to Solomon, eventually instituting the Ark of the Covenant, the temple on Mount Zion. And so for a period of time, God's presence dwelt among the Israelites, again, in a building. That's where God's presence dwelt, was in the temple, Mount Zion. Uh, As you continue throughout the scriptures, we know that God's presence does not just stay in a building, that eventually his presence actually comes to us in the form of a person. So Jesus comes onto the scene and he is the, the representation, the full representation, the full embodiment of God's presence, but not not in a location, actually in a person. The language they use to describe Jesus' arrival is very similar to the language used to describe the temple or tabernacle where God's presence dwelt. So God is with us, Emmanuel, Emmanuel, God with us in the form of Jesus. Well, Jesus lives his life, death, resurrection. And we, uh, after his resurrection, he kind of commissions his church to go and make disciples. And he promises, he promises that he's going to leave, but actually the advocate, the spirit, that God's presence is actually going to come and dwell amongst his people and actually in his people. And us as post-resurrection followers of Jesus, if you have declared that Jesus is Lord, that he's king of your life, the spirit, the presence of the living God actually dwells among you. Paul says we are now temples of the Holy Spirit. And so the story of scripture is God moving his presence from a building to one person and now to us, all people, all those who follow and believe in Jesus, God's presence dwells within. So when we come as a church, we serve as this new temple where God's presence dwells amongst us. And that is what differentiates the church from really any other like world help or world, you know, changing organization. There are plenty of organizations or, or religions or, you know, movements or initiatives trying to change the world, trying to make things better, trying to establish, you know, better things in this world. The difference between them and the church is the church has the presence of God. That's what distinguishes us from every other organization or people in this world is that we truly believe that God's presence actually dwells within us. It's not just something that we'll experience one day when we die and go to heaven, but it's something that we can actually experience and live and be a part of and actually have a part of our lives here today, July 31st, 2022. Pretty sure it's July 31st. I had a second of like... Don't be bold and say the date. You're going to get it wrong, but I'm pretty sure it's July 31st. Anyways, where am I going with all of this? The church, God's presence once dwelt, you know, amongst Mount Zion. And what we need to realize is that the church 
God's people, us, the church is God's vessel to experience and embody his presence. So we, as a church, as followers of Jesus, who we are is people who experience his presence and then embody it to the world. One of the many ways that Zion, the word Zion is used throughout the scriptures, is not to refer to the mountain, but to actually refer to Jerusalem, God's people. And now one of the reasons that the writers would do that is because they were using the idea of God's presence being amongst Israelite, uh, Israel. They're using it to inform them that part of their identity was that God's presence dwelt among them. So you see throughout the scriptures, they would say, Zion, Zion this, Zion, come back. God will protect you. It's not referring to just the mountain, but actually Jerusalem, because part of what Jerusalem was, was the people in which God dwelt among. And part of who we are, part of our identity as followers of Jesus is that God's presence dwells within us. That just like the writers of the scriptures would say to the Israelites, hey, calling them back to remember that they are Zion, that God's presence dwells among, amongst them, we are God's people that his presence dwells within and among. That is a part of who we are. And while that's exciting and uh, there's no clapping, I was hoping there was clapping. I wrote that in my script. No clapping, that's okay. You know, ah, there we go. Sweet, thank you. All right, yeah, I'll just conjure up a moment. You know, like as we, as we acknowledge, we're like, yeah, God's presence is in us. That's awesome. That's really cool. Uh, you know, maybe, maybe some of you like that, was remi- you're reminded of that. You're like, wow, that's a good... It's a good thing to say to somebody else. Or, man, I really needed to hear that. Uh, the human struggle, the human struggle is to remember, is to remember and remain faithful and continue to pursue God's presence. Our struggle, Israel's struggle, was to remember that they are people called to God's presence and to continue to seek out his presence. We live in a world with what a, 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 whole, a whole culture a whole group of people who, who probably even deny that God exists, let alone that his presence is amongst his people. We live in a distracting culture. We live in, we live in a time and age where there's so much going on that can pull us away from seeking and pursuing the presence of God regularly. No matter who you are in this room, at some point in your life, you've probably struggled remembering or reminding yourself or remaining faithful or continuing to pursue God's presence. That was this summer for me. And I think, I think all of us fall into potentially three areas with this. I think most of us, we either reject, replace, or reduce God's presence in our life. We reject God's presence, we replace God's presence, or we reduce God's presence in our life. I want to start with the first one, reject. Um, you know, I think, again, like I said, there is a, a current cultural uh, a wave, and you know, I'm not going to try and get too uh, I don't want to get too deep into this, but there is, uh, there, there, there's a reality that our world right now like, denies that God even exists. And so there's some of you who walk into this, you know, this building today and you would not say you're a follower of Jesus. You would not say that you identify as someone who believes in God maybe even. And so in doing so, you, you've rejected the idea that you want to be with him. You've rejected his presence. But I think there's a, there's a whole other category of us who have believed and followed Jesus, who who, who would consider yourself someone who, who follows God. But if you're honest with yourself because of circumstances, because of pain, because of hardship, because of whatever you might've experienced, you've approached God with, with, with kind of at arm's length and you've rejected his presence. You said, because of this thing, I don't, I don't actually, actually want to welcome you into my life because I, I don't know if I want to go there. 
I don't know if I actually want to like rehash all that I went through. I don't know if I want to rehash that pain or that thing. And maybe you show up here because, you know, it's the thing to do. Like, you know, it's like what you're supposed to do. But if you're honest, if you're at a personal level, you've actually kind of pushed God's presence out and, and you, don't, you don't really want to bring him in. And what, what I would want to say to that, this is kind of a side tangent a little bit, but uh, this past season of mine has been one of lots of pain, uh, lots, of, lots of personal loss. I've experienced grief for the first, like real grief for the first time, probably my whole life. Uh, and what God has shown me in this is that as much as he is the God of, of joy and excitement and fun times and happiness and all of the things that we, you know, sing about on Sundays, right? Just as much as he is the God of those things, he is also the God of grief. He's also the God who experiences grief. Uh, I believe that every human emotion is a derivative of an emotion that God feels himself. I think that we are his, his manifest, like he, he has created us in his image. What we experience, the emotions we experience, I don't think he's disconnected from. Now, we might take those emotions and do things that he would not do with them. But if we experience grief and loss and pain in this world, like how much more does the God who created this very thing to go a certain way also experience that grief, that loss, that pain? And so if you're here today and you've rejected God's presence because you, you've experienced deep pain or deep hurt or deep grief, I just want to encourage you that God's presence is not removed from those things, but he actually wants to be welcomed into those, those places. That he is not the God who is standing next to you while you cry saying, get up, fix yourself. No, he's the God that actually comes and sits next to you and actually cries alongside you as he also acknowledges the brokenness of the world that we exist in. That there is not something right with this world. That he actually acknowledges that alongside of you. So if you've, if you've rejected God's presence because of pain, I want to encourage you to welcome him in this morning. And I, I, I have a, a strong conviction that he will welcome you he will be in there with you and he will meet you in that pain. And that can actually be the steps to healing. So I spent a while on that first one. I'll try to be a little quicker than these next two, but we reject God's presence. We also replace God's presence. Uh, I think this is a category that most of us fit into. This is a category that I'm probably most likely to, to walk into. I think pursuing God's presence on a regular basis is like the spiritual equivalent of eating veggies. What do I mean by that? is everyone here knows they're supposed to eat their vegetables, right? How many people here actually ate vegetables this morning? I, like, I actually see, I see one hand. There might've been more, I saw one hand. That's even less than what I expected. You know, like we all know we're supposed to eat our veggies, but it's just way more fun to eat Wandering Donut, right? Like it's just way more enjoyable. Shout out Wandering Donut. Ethan, if you're here, you know, keep up the good work. But for us, like we all know we should pray, read our Bibles, get into community, come here on a Sunday morning, do the things that we should do to get in God's presence, but it's just way easier to watch Netflix sometimes. Stranger Things is, you know, it's, it's more fun. It's easier to dive into a podcast. It's easier to continue to answer the email or dive in to work. The struggle we have is, I think the struggle of the 21st century follower of Jesus is to fight the constant distraction of our world that's trying to pull us away from God's presence. And so for me this summer, it was, I wish I could say it was more complicated than this, but it was literally just, I picked other things. I picked other things over God. I just prioritized other things over his presence. And I think today can be a reminder, can, can be a call to reject those things that were so easy 
to replace in front of him, to actually call out that thing that we've replaced him with. And that he's faithful to come back, to forgive, to actually welcome us in, even when we have chosen something else over him. So the final one, we talked about reject, replace. Final one is reduce. And this is one I think God is forming in me in my spiritual journey a lot in this current moment is a lot of us kind of silo God into specific moments of our life, whether it's Sunday morning or morning quiet time, or we, we've kind of created moments where we expect God to be there. Uh, but if you actually looked at your whole day, most of your day it, it, you go about without even really acknowledging that he's there. For me, what this looks like is uh, I'm a morning person and I have little kids, which is not a good combo. And so I like to wake up in the morning. I'm, I like super, I'm also a super idealist. So I'll be like, I'm gonna wake up at four, more, four in the morning and I'm gonna pray for two hours. It's gonna be amazing. And then it never happens. And uh, I just completely kind of throw it all out the rest of the day. And uh, my kids have like a superpower where they like somehow know like what alarm clock I set. And then they're like, my daughter Joy is like, you know what, you said you're gonna wake up at 5.30. I'm going to wake up at 5.25 and your whole morning is going to be ruined. And it just happens all the time. I don't know what it is. They just, if you're blessed with kids that sleep and worship God, you're welcome. That is not me. My kids do not sleep that much. And so, but for me, what I've learned is as soon as that happens, as soon as my morning doesn't go how I expected, it's like, well, I can't pray at all now or I can't read scripture at all. I just kind of throw it all out and then I just go about my day as if it was never even an intention. And God is kind of pruning in me. They're like, hey, why not welcome me into whatever moment happens? Whether your kids are up or not, why not welcome me into every part of your day? Whether you're walking around the grocery store or driving to work, whatever main mundane task you have, welcome me into that moment. I think we can reduce God's presence in our life to specific moments and then we lose out on all these opportunities of encounter. And so whether it's reject, replace, reduce, again, our struggle the human struggle is to remember, to actually trust or to believe or to pursue God's presence on a regular basis. So what I want this morning to be as we talk about Mount Zion is, is honestly kind of a, maybe a reminder morning, maybe a call back morning. You know, summer is a, is a time where it's easy to kind of let loose in our disciplines, to kind of let things slide. And if we're not careful, the same can happen spiritually. The, uh, the, the example I like to give is if you've ever if you've ever gone and swam in the ocean or kind of rode waves or played in the ocean for a bit, whenever you get back out of the water, back onto the beach, you're always way further down the beach than when you initially got into the water. Without realizing it, the tide and the current of the ocean actually took you further along the beach than you actually had any idea of. And I think this morning can be a moment for us to recognize, hey, maybe I've, by rejecting, replacing, reducing, I've actually begun to drift. I've begun to drift down the ocean, away, away from God. And this is the morning of, hey, let's come back. Let's return. He wants you to be in his presence. It can be a moment for us to return to his presence. So what I want to do is actually look through a few different, uh, a few different realities that come to us from the idea of Zion regarding God's presence. These are consistent themes throughout scripture of what God's presence provides and does for us whenever the idea of Zion is mentioned throughout scripture. So we're going to jump around a little bit uh, we're going to jump around the Psalms a bit, but we're going to start in Psalm 65, verse 4. That's what it says. Blessed is the one whom you choose and bring near to you to dwell in your courts. We will be satisfied with the goodness of your house, your holy temple. God's presence is the true source of life and satisfaction. 
That's kind of the first theme we see throughout Scripture regarding this idea of Zion or God's presence, is that Zion, God's presence, is the true source of life and satisfaction. So uh, Israel, uh, Jerusalem in particular, uh, geographically is a pretty dry place. Uh, a lot, not a whole lot of water there. Not a whole, like, not, not a tons of, not, there aren't tons of waterfalls or beaches or rivers. It's a pretty dry area. And as an agricultural society, water, you know, it was pretty significant because it's what allowed them to, you know, grow crops, to actually make a profit, to live and all of that. And so while literally water was important, uh, it also had a greater representation uh, of kind of being the spiritual equivalent to this idea of life. That water was this idea of life. And often the psalmists and prophets would, would write about Zion being this place where a streaming river flowed out of Zion or God's presence or the temple throughout the city, bringing life to wherever it went. Psalm 46 refers to the dwelling place of God as a peaceful flowing river. Ezekiel 12 provides uh, a really intricate vision of a river flowing out of the temple through the city, producing fruit wherever it went. And now there's not literally a river that's flowing through Israel out of the temple, but that God's presence is that river that flows through the temple. So for us, the water for our dry souls is God's presence. That God's presence is the true source of life and satisfaction. We Again, our struggle today is to actually believe that. There's so many things in our world that are pulling us towards it, trying to sway us, trying to distract us away from that reality, saying that it is the source of life or satisfaction, that it can be the thing that can water our dry souls. And the reality, the more and more we chase those things, the drier and drier we get, the further we begin to drift down that ocean. So we need to recognize before anything else that, that true life and satisfaction can only come from the presence of God, not anything else. And again, that's what makes us different. Is it's not some, we don't have some formula that can fix your life. We don't have some way, the church doesn't have some like secret sauce that's like, hey, if you mix this up and eat this, you're like, life will be all good. No, what we say is that God's presence is actually the thing that changes us. It's actually the thing that brings life and satisfaction. The second thing, so we talked about satisfaction. The second thing, as we jump to Psalm 46, 5, I'm going to read this and I'll kind of explain a little bit what it means is, Psalm 46, 5, God is in the midst of her. She will not be moved. God will help her when morning dawns. So uh, a lot of times throughout scripture, Jerusalem is referred to as the daughter of Zion. So in this passage, when you read the word her or she, it's not referring to like a specific woman, but rather Jerusalem as the daughter of Zion, being uh, connected to God's presence, like a daughter to a father, daughter of Zion was Jerusalem. And one of the things that, Jerusalem was afforded because of their connection to God's presence was protection. Throughout the scriptures, it would say that God would fight on behalf of Zion, that he would protect Zion. He would not let Zion fall. And what we need, uh, this kind of second thing we recognize is that God's presence is the true source of protection and refuge. Protection and refuge. Uh, this is the point that I kind of struggle with the most because it has the potential of communicating something that I don't actually want to communicate. Uh, there is the chance that you can read this and be like, sweet, I'm good. Like if I just pray, then like, man, good things are going to happen. Like, I don't need to worry, you know? And none of us are naive to realize that uh, I think we're all recognized with this, you know, things that have happened in our world, maybe in our lives personally, that 
uh, bad things still happen, right? Well, if God's the source of protection, then why does struggle or difficulty continue to happen in my life? And God's protection is not an absence of difficulty in our life. Actually, I would say that pursuing his presence will probably bring further opposition, not just from this physical world, but also from the reality that we have a spiritual battle going on amongst us and that there is a real enemy who's trying to sway you from the presence of God. So pursuing his presence actually could potentially bring about opposition in his life. But that protection is not, is not a complete you know, uh, removal from all bad things, but rather a source of refuge within the difficulty or bad things that happen to us. God's presence is often referred to as a refuge, a place of, of safety to come into when everything else around us is going crazy. And so when life gets hardest is probably the times we need to seek his presence out the most because he is the only source of protection and refuge to work us through those difficult, hard moments. So if God's presence is the source of satisfaction, God's presence is also the source of protection, the place of refuge. Like it doesn't prevent bad things from happening, but can be the source of refuge to get us through those difficult things. So we have satisfaction, protection, the final one. We'll read here in, in, verse, uh, in Psalm 65, 2. Just a quick little phrase. Psalm 65, 2, it says, O you who hear prayer, to you all men come. A couple of things there. First, that God actually recognizes our prayers. Part of entering his presence is actually he hears us. We serve the God that listens to his people. He hears our prayers. The second being, Second part of that passage is that all men will come to Mount Zion, is what it's referring to, that all men eventually will come to Mount Zion. What the psalmists write about often is that God's presence brings those who are even outside the gates of Israel, people who are foreigners, people who are wanderers, Gentiles is words they would often use, that God's presence actually uh, kind of brings in and welcomes and attracts all those who are even far from God. And part of Israel's mandate was to be a people who experienced God's presence, who embodied it to this world so that the, the nations and the rest of the world would actually be attracted to this different way of living that Israel portrayed. And for us as the church, if we are the embodiment of God's presence, that's what our call is. It's easy for us to read those first two, like, oh man, satisfaction, protection, awesome. And just see that God's, and see God's presence as kind of a self gratification, like make my life better. It's about me. But God's seeking God's presence. God's presence amongst Israel is never just about them, but actually about reaching the nations around them, being a blessing to the world. And so Jesus imparting the spirit upon us is not just about our, like what we get out of it, but about us actually embodying his presence to the world. God's presence is the true source of spiritual, spiritual multiplication and fruit. Spiritual multiplication and fruit. Spiritual fruit is the collateral damage of spiritual intimacy. What I mean by that is if you want to experience fruit in this world, if you want to be someone who actually attracts people to God, you want to see multiplication, you want to be a blessing to this world, the start of that is spiritual intimacy, experiencing God's presence, dwelling in his presence. And if you experience spiritual intimacy, you will be someone who then is pushed out and actually experiences fruit. That's actually a recognition of mine this past, kind of this past week as I was reflecting on the summer. I was like, man, I haven't prayed for anyone in a long time. I haven't had this moment of like, 
I've had a lot of moments of like, I feel God moving through me or me like uh, serving someone else or really doing something that I wouldn't ordinarily do on my like, you know, like I'm going to change my daughter's diaper because it's like what I'm supposed to do. Like I didn't do anything out of the ordinary in terms of what I would normally do. And I was kind of reflecting on that, not out of like guilt and shame, but just kind of out of, again, just kind of self-reflection. And I realized that my lack of spiritual fruit, well, it was kind of an indication of my lack of spiritual intimacy this summer. That my continual choosing of other things this summer led to kind of a fruitless summer. I didn't have a lot to show for it in terms of like, man, this is what God did through me this summer. So if you're someone who wants to have that kind of impact on the world, again, it's not strategy. It's not greater knowledge. It's not your gifts and abilities, your ability to sing or teach or explain things or necessarily your work ethic. The thing that will make you someone who makes an impact in this world is your experience of God's presence and then your embodiment to the world. Your spiritual intimacy will lead to spiritual fruit. And so as a church, we are called and to, and to live out and experience those three, three things. Like we experience that God's presence is a source of satisfaction. A lot of us maybe have experienced that God's presence is a source of protection. And, you know, ultimately it's a source of, of multiplication. Those are all great things. But again, what we wrestle with, what we need to battle with, come to recognize is that satisfaction, protection, and multiplication, well, these are byproducts of God's presence. Well, these are byproducts of God's presence. They're not guaranteed. What I mean by that, what I mean by that is not, not that God would send you out, not that he would leave you, that he would forget you or be like, ah, oh, man, you're not, you're not part of my family anymore. But if we're not careful, drifting down the ocean actually drifts us further and further and further away from experiencing these things. And soon when we begin to drift and we reject or replace or reduce the fruit that begins to get produced in our lives is much more reflective of our flesh versus the fruit of the Spirit. And so again, our battle is a daily battle to fight and remain and pursue God's presence. And when we do, these are actually the things that we get to experience. We actually experience these things. And so throughout the scriptures, one of the ways that Zion is used is actually in the context of warnings. That the prophets or, uh, yeah, maybe the prophets, they would write to the people using the word Zion, you know, identifying that they are a people whom God dwells among. But in the context of warning them that they're drifting from that identity, that they're drifting from living in that identity, that they're choosing other things, that idolatry has come into the temple, idolatry has come into them, and they warn of, of implications of that. They warn of, of things that might be coming because of their lack of continual pursuit of God's presence. And for me, this week was kind of a warning. It was kind of a like, God kind of like, uh, kind of like a jolt moment. Uh, God kind of like exposed in me like the way I had drifted. And I kind of known, but he kind of made it, made it very clear to me the way I drifted. It was a kind of a warning moment of like, hey, like you're never a season away from kind of blowing all this up. You know, you have a great family. You have a great job here at this church. Like you're not just afforded or assured of those things because you are Tanner you are actually seasoned away from actually bringing destruction into those things if you're not careful. And it was like kind of this, this moment of warning. And what I, what I realized is that while I drifted from God's presence, he began to, to warn me of that drifting. But I, I began to realize that God's warnings are actually invitations, not accusations. 
And so for some of you this morning, it might serve as a warning, like a warning morning. Like, hey, you've drifted, like come back. But that warning isn't God pointing you out and be like, man, what the heck? Yeah, get yourself better. All right, I guess I'll welcome you back. Like, sure. Like, let me, let me write down all the things you've done wrong. Let me point out all the flaws in you. No, it's an invitation saying, hey, get rid of that thing that's in front of me because I actually want to experience you. I want you to experience me. I want to actually be in connection and relationship with you. There's this moment in Jeremiah, in Jeremiah 6 and Jeremiah 7 where Jeremiah writes to the Israelites that, hey, Zion, destruction is coming. Like destruction is coming to Zion. And now he was alluding to what would eventually happen, the Babylonians coming in and bringing the Israelites into exile. You know, just a forewarning. We don't need to worry about that. I don't think the Babylonians are going to come and, you know, take us into exile. So you can, you know, sigh of relief for that. We got ourselves covered in that way. But he was saying that, hey, your idolatry, your lack of remembering who you are, it's going to bring destruction. And then in the very next chapter in Jeremiah 7, he actually goes and confronts the temple and says, hey, like get rid of your idols. Actually come back to who you are. Let, lay down the things that have distracted you from his presence. I think for us, that might be a lot of what this morning is about. It's actually coming to grips with, we have put other things before God's presence. We need to actually recognize that and we need to actually lay those things down and give those things up, cut those things out to actually pursue his presence above all else. That's what this past week was for me. It was coming to grips that I had let things in my life that were distracting me. So it's cutting out things, it's deleting apps, it's blocking things on my phone. It was being intentional to remove the distractions that would allow me to experience God's presence on a more regular basis. So what do we do when we drifted from God's presence? Some of you might be feeling that, like, man, I've, I've been drifting, I've fallen away, I don't know what to do. I've, like, yeah, I have idols in my life, like, sure, I can delete an app, but like, what do I actually, like, what do I actually do to return to God's presence? I want to read verse 3 of Psalm 65. It says this, it says, wrongdoings prevail against me. As for our transgressions, you forgive them. Another translation of that verse says, when I am overwhelmed with my sin, you are faithful to forgive. And so some of you might be overwhelmed by how you've, you've drifted. You might feel that guilt or shame, or whatever it might be. But we return to God's presence. We return to God's presence by actually just acknowledging it welcoming him in and just repenting of our current moment, our current season. The story this makes me think of, and actually I didn't share this in first service, but I was kind of reminded of it during second service, but uh, the story of the prodigal son, the story of the prodigal son is a story of someone straight up rejecting, you know, God's presence. He rejects his dad. He says, I don't want you. Like I want my inheritance. I'm going to go away. I'm going to go do my own thing. Eventually it goes poorly, right? It goes terribly, if you're familiar with the story. And there's a moment where he acknowledges the state that he got himself in, the son, the prodigal son. And he's like, you know what? Like, it would be better for me to be like the lowest of low in my father's company than to keep doing what I'm doing. So I'm going to go back. And so he goes back. The scriptures say, Jesus, Jesus teaches that this father of the prodigal son drops what he's doing and actually runs to his son. Now, in Jewish culture, as, as, a, as a male, it, like a, a very honor society, an honor culture, running 
to someone was actually like, it was an embarrassing thing to do. It's not what you were supposed to do. You're supposed to stand and welcome, especially your children, especially those who were in particular under your authority. So a father running to a son would have been kind of like, like it would have been a noticeable thing. It would have been embarrassing. It would have been like, what is that guy doing? Like, why is he doing that? He's actually bringing, like he's bringing embarrassment to himself, let alone his son. But yet we see Jesus communicate that this father was so excited to see his son that he forego any, any sense of like honor or, you know, how he might look in the public eye and actually ran towards his son. And so I think for some of you this morning, you know, maybe you haven't like gone off and, you know, done the worst things you've ever done or you haven't gone off and you're not completely wandering, but it's just been like a, it's been a complacent season. It's been a, it's been an apathetic season. I want to invite you to take that moment, and actually return to God this morning. So as we begin to close and kind of move into this moment of response, I want to address three things. The first, and I think this is many of your next steps, is repent and confess your sins. I think that's the first step to re-entering God's presence, to actually want to acknowledge where we're at, acknowledge, acknowledge the sin that we might have taken place, but not just privately to God. You know, James says, hey, when you confess your sins publicly and pray for each other, there's actually healing that takes place. And so maybe today you actually need to actually publicly confess some wandering, some drifting, some apathy, some sin that's in your life and get it out of you so you can actually begin to experience the healing process that takes place with confessing it to someone else. Actually experience the body of Christ come alongside you in a moment of confession. Actually turn away, repent, a 180 turn away from where you were going previously. Some of you need to repent and confess sins. I want to charge some of you with this idea that uh, this idea of remembering who you are. I think some of you have forgotten who you are and you've become the thing that has caused you to wander. Peter writes that we are living stones. We are the living stones that build up this new temple, the church, that we are a holy priesthood. One of the struggles of Israel was to forget that they are the people that God's presence dwelt amongst. I think for us, we can quickly forget that we are a new holy priesthood made for the presence of God. So whatever it is that's caused you to drift away, whether it's rejection, replacing, reducing, whatever it is, like remember today, if you follow Jesus, you are a priesthood. You are a priest made for the presence of God and live into that identity today. Seek out his presence, welcome him back in to your life. And the final thing, this is kind of a, a charge for all of us as we continue forward seeking God's presence. The last thing is protect your mind. Our minds are the battleground for our spiritual lives. The touch point between us and God's presence is actually in our minds. And the battle we fight is actually a battle of the mind. So what we allow into our mind, the thoughts we have, where our mind drifts, where our mind wanders, like that is the spiritual battle right there. So be careful what you allow into your minds take captive your thoughts. As Paul writes, do not be transformed by the patterns of this world. Don't be transformed by the ideas, the thought patterns, the way this world goes, but renew your mind. Daily renew your mind. That's not just a one-time decision that was made and now my mind is renewed. It is a daily battle to fight for the renewal of our minds. And so as we begin to move into this moment of response, you know, the same invitation is open for the front. 
Again, maybe some of you have rejected God's presence. Maybe some of you have reduced it, replaced it, whatever it is. Let this morning be a moment of return. Let this moment be a morning where you actually pursue the Father and feel His welcome arms and experience His presence. As always, our response stations are open. You can take communion, receive prayer. But let's all move into worship with this expectancy that God actually wants to meet us. And if you've been distant, use this moment as a moment to declare that I'm actually moving towards God's presence. I'm going to get out of my seat and I'm actually going to make a public declaration of where I'm at spiritually. And we'll come alongside you. Let's see what God can do in you, even in this moment. Thank you so much for joining us. And a special thank you to those who give to Waymaker Church. It is because of you that our ministry is possible. Visit waymaker.church to give now. And if you enjoyed today's podcast, be sure to subscribe. You can also share it with your friends and family. Thanks again for listening. Now go make a way.